0: Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we take a look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm joined by my co-host.
1: I'm replaced by stock footage, comedian and more stock footage. (laughs) Is that it? That's the end of (laughs) (laughs) that? I couldn't do my Every part of my normal (laughs) intro was there was stock footage there, Josh, instead of something oh, yeah. new, you know. Yeah. So, We're going to you should yeah. have you should have brought your brought a recording of someone else
0: saying your name or something like that.
1: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> saying each part of your name yeah. to throw in there.
2: I should really just like poorly edit all of this too. Yeah, and there you go. Really just put sell it, it put it
0: like out of order. Insert yeah. insert maybe a recording shot. of a different <laughs> podcast somewhere in the middle of Shot it.
1: of <laughs> shot of woman getting choked.
0: Yes. What's happening there? This is our season on the films of 1953, and this episode is our future cult classic episode on Ed Wood's Glenn or Glenda, featuring lots of stock footage and poorly edited sequences. And it's, uh, you know, we've talked about Tommy Wiseau, and I feel like Ed Wood is the obvious antecedent of Tommy Wiseau. So if we've talked about Tommy Wiseau, we were going to have to get to Ed Wood eventually. So here we are with Ed Wood and this is his first feature film. So this could have been our debut feature. We could have replaced Stanley Kubrick <laughs> with Ed Wood. Imagine how that would have gone.
1: Um, there would have been more stock footage.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Definitely. So
0: yeah, this is, uh, this is the first film that Ed Wood Directed, of course, he's he's known as one of the most notorious bad, or so bad they're good, depending on your perspective, filmmakers uh, for movies like Plan 9 from Outer Space, which is his most famous film. Uh, but this comes before that one. This movie was in part inspired by the story of Christine Jorgensen, or Jorgensen, who is the first American who was publicized as having undergone sex reassignment surgery, and George Weiss, the producer of this film, in the grand exploitation tradition, learned about a news thing, a cultural phenomenon, and wanted to exploit it in some way, and initially tried to get Christine Jorgensen to star in this film, and she wisely turned him down. (laughs) Seems like a good choice. But instead, he ended up with Ed Wood, who is uh, also well-known for his penchant for cross-dressing, which is not the same as being transgender as we sort of learn in this movie and sort of are muddled by in this movie. But because of that, he convinced George Weiss that he was the right one to make this film. And it really doesn't have anything to do with Christine Jorgensen or her story, but it was still capitalizing on that. And Ed Wood is the director and the star of this film under the alias Daniel Davis. And, uh it's
1: something so josh george weiss as you said exploitation producer also i think same year came out test tube babies yes and uh the christine jorgensen story i i think right kind of inspired that second story in this film of the military man who comes back and goes under sex reassignment surgery uh it's interesting you know 1953 they they use the word transvestite uh, throughout, and uh, we grew up using that word, and now we know better. But um, you know, so if if we uh, slip today, give it, give us a, give us a little uh, leniency.
0: Yeah, they're definitely using outdated terms here, and the that second story that you refer to um, about Alan who becomes Anne is sort of like the Christine Jorgensen story in that that's someone who actually does undergo surgery and medical treatment. But is presented in the film as what they call another term that we wouldn't use now a pseudo hermaphrodite, which is what we would now call intersex. And that's not what Christine Jorgensen was. Mm. So it seems like the movie is almost hedging its bets. Like we couldn't show you someone who is fully like assigned male at birth, undergoing surgery and um, being happy and productive in society. We had to kind of give you this out. Here in a way with this person being intersex, so it's a it's a complicated dynamic that's well, going on.
1: Well, again, this wasn't the movie that George Weiss hired Edward to make, right? True. Wasn't the the original title like "I Changed My Sex"?
0: Yeah, that was a title. In fact, that it was released under in some in some markets in the great exploitation tradition where. Many many movies like that are released under multiple titles, uh, you know, making the title as sensationalistic as possible. Right. But, yeah.
1: But that story is very secondary to the main story, which is the the first main story is we see a cross dressing person who has killed herself uh, because she keeps getting stopped by the cops, right? And then we have a, a inspector of sorts, uh, a detective who goes to learn about the culture of crossdressers, and then that's when we get into the Daniel Davis-Ed Wood story, which is basically like, well, let me tell you about a case of a man who wanted to be a woman. Here's a step-by-step rundown with some footage of what I'm talking about, and some stock footage, and an interlude of some other stuff that's more and more racy.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, you're right. This isn't the movie that George Weiss wanted a movie about someone undergoing sex reassignment surgery like Christine Jorgensen did. Ed Wood wanted to make a movie about being a crossdresser, which is on sort of the same spectrum, I guess we could say, but is not the same thing. And basically, Ed Wood hijacked this movie in order to make a movie about his own personal issues, which, which he did.
1: Right, exactly, and he had Bella Lugosi, so that helped
0: too. And he had Bella Lugosi, yes. Let us not forget the framing story of Bella Lugosi, where he narrates things that are going to happen, and then the other guy also narrates the things. It's a framing story for the framing story, and is entirely superfluous, other than the fact that Ed Wood loved Bella Lugosi and had tracked him down as as he was sort of. Um, living in in poverty and addicted to drugs and Ed Wood found him and gave him work. And basically he was happy to get paid to be in any kind of movie. Right. I think at that exactly.
1: Point. And I, I mean, he's uh, like, you're saying like the, the, his narration is more like uh broad stroke themes of uh, uh poetic license. Do they even have any relevance to anything? Uh, and the same type of thing, um, could be said uh, of the character that they introduce in Plan 9 from, out, for outer, uh, from outer space. Sorry, I'm having trouble talking today, apparently. But um, there is, like you said, the main narration comes from the detective and the doctor talking back
0: and forth. Right. Yeah. They're the ones who really explain the, the details of the story of, of Glenn, played by Edward. So as um, Daniel Davis. As Daniel Davis. Exactly. You could see why my, of, my brain was
1: trying to yes. work it all around there.
0: Lots of shifting identity going on in this film. Really. Yes. So yeah, it's something like this. I don't know what the budget was. There weren't any figures that I found. I'm sure it was very, very small. I believe it was shot in four days, I think. Um it did, according to Wikipedia, gross approximately twenty thousand dollars at the box office, which doesn't sound like very much, but it's probably a good amount considering its budget. Um, and those, those sort of, uh, erotic interludes that you're alluding to Jason that don't really have anything to do with, uh, the story with either of the stories here related to cross dressing or, or sex reassignment surgery, or where there's just like random sexy things happening. Those were not shot by Ed Wood. Those were added by George Weiss to pad out the running time and to give it, I don't know, more of a, more raciness or whatever. It's a very short movie regardless of all that stuff. It is it is a mess. It is indeed a mess, but sometimes a fascinating mess. I think like a lot of these so bad they're good movies like The Room, there's there's something mesmerizing about the awfulness of this
1: film. I mean, I don't know if that's what you're going to call it. I am not going to call it so bad it's good. I'm just going to call it so bad. Yeah.
0: I mean, I I am with you on that. And I think we probably talked about this in our episode on The Room. Like, I'm not really keen on the so bad it's good idea. Like if it's bad, it's bad. And if you think it's so bad that it's good, then just say that it's good. If you think that it's good, like it's okay to think movies are good. Um, so I agree that it's just that it's bad, but I think it's fascinatingly bad in a way that just like a lot of exploitation movies that are just cynical cash-ins are less interesting because this is a movie, like I said, where Ed Wood basically hijacked this craven exploitation movie to to put this very very personal expression on the screen.
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so a subject that was not uh, accepted as in the mainstream as of yet in 1953, right. and even now less uh, more than
0: then, but not entirely. So. Not surprisingly, this is not a movie that was extensively reviewed in the press. (laughs) Um, It was a tough thing to look for reviews of this movie. So, uh, to be honest, I I have only one contemporary review of this film. And I think this is actually the same thing that happened with The Room, where the only people who diligently went and saw this movie and wrote about it at the time it was released were Variety, because they would review literally anything that played in a theater. So, in their unbylined review, Variety said, Glenn or Glenda is an exploitation film dealing with transvestism and sex change. Told mainly in semi-documentary fashion, story unfolds as two case histories presented tastefully without the explicit shock visuals common to such case study picks. Though opening credits warn of film's stark realism, director Edward Wood's use of stock footage, cheap sets, perfunctory visuals and recited lecture dialogue gives the picture a phony quality. What distinguishes it from other low-budget efforts are the occasional mad flights of fancy. Most involve a weird scientist, delightfully played by Bella Lugosi in eye-popping fashion. Also out of the ordinary is a suggestive, but far from pornographic, sequence of women writhing in their sexy undies, laden with bondage overtones, as well as a surrealist nightmare scene. Uh, really kind of a generous review there from Variety. A
1: hodgepodge of everything going on there. Yes. So, yes, indeed. I like Bela Lugosi in this. He's it's, it's fun. I mean, imagine that, right? Like, you know, walking down the street, you're, you know, imagine if Tommy Wiseau had pulled something like that off, Right. And uh, got um uh I don't know, who's like a fallen star of that time that he could have gotten, you know.
0: Right. I I mean I feel like it would be like the kind of people who are in constant B movies now, like Michael Madsen or Eric Roberts right. or Tom Sizemore one Right. Of those people. This
1: is right. This is the uh precursor to that, which is fun. So
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Lugosi, on the one hand, I wonder if he even knows what the hell he's talking about here or understands what the movie yeah. is that he's in.
1: I mean, are you but saying he's... that because the material's so so uh, insane or because he's so junked out on heroin at the time?
0: I mean, I think it's probably a little bit of both. And especially because the stuff that he says is almost like abstract. Right.
1: right. That's right. what I meant to say earlier. You used right. the good word there. See, I used many... <laughs> Bad words (laughs) to describe it.
0: (laughs) Um, Right, because the doctor is giving this, as it says in that review, this almost like lecture style narration, right? It's very... Sort of plodding and stentorian and straightforward, and like he's giving a, a classroom presentation or something. And Lugosi, meanwhile, is just saying all sorts right. of
1: whacked out dragon fires and puppy tails. Right. right,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's why I wonder, like, if if Ed Wood just said like here, say this dialogue, he might not have any idea what exactly it was. He committed
1: to, to it though. He really yes. did commit. You yes,
0: know, so. he does. He does indeed. So uh, I did want to find something else. And as we'll probably discuss, uh, in 1981 and 1982, this movie was re-released in probably a wider release than it was in 1953 um, on the heels of the Golden Turkey Awards, naming Ed Wood the worst director of all time. And so at that time, Janet Maslin in the New York Times reviewed it. And she said, Glenn or Glenda is a half-mad old movie. Paramount hasn't so much rescued as disinterred. It isn't quite a camp classic, although it's dreadful enough to have a certain comic appeal. Glen or Glenda is also a film of great conviction in its way, and that tends to interfere with the fun. There is plenty of inadvertent humor in Glen or Glenda with its weirdo homilies, rotten acting, and frequent talk of underwear. <laughs> Glen or Glenda has a panicky urgency that may keep it from becoming a late-night conversation piece. It's a bad movie, all right and it has its share of hoots, but it isn't quite lifeless enough to be taken lightly.
1: Uh, Golden Turkey Awards, like you said, named him the worst uh, director of all time in 1980. And they, I think they named this the worst movie of all time. The nominees uh, for best actress or for worst actress of all time included Candace Bergen, who's a great actress. yeah, And for worst actor of all time, Richard Burton beat actors including Tony Curtis and Victor Mature. So, what is happening with these awards? I don't know. Yeah, a couple of people there we've we've talked about this
0: season actually. Yeah. So, and not negatively at all. So, who knows? But um yeah, I think but I think one of the things that Janet Maslin hits on there is what I what I've been saying is that like this isn't just your run of the mill like, oh haha, this movie is bad and it's inept. Which I think some other Ed Wood movies kind of are. But because this is such a clearly like personal statement, and he's revealing something about himself that, like you say, Jason, I mean, even now is not super widely accepted, but far more so than it was in 1953, he's putting out there a movie which could literally like get him institutionalized potentially or something like that. And so there's a vulnerability there that I think comes across.
1: Yeah, but a mostly inept vulnerability, Josh. So I'm not gonna let it off the hook (laughs) just because it's vulnerable.
0: Okay, I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying that there's something more to it than just being bad.
1: Yeah, he told a personal story in a really, really, really amateurish way.
0: Yes, he did. But I think that is more worthwhile to watch than just a crappy genre movie or whatever.
1: It's Know the Room.
0: <laughs> okay. Fair. <laughs> All right. That's that's fair, I suppose. So I assume, Jason, that you hadn't seen this before.
1: No, I had never seen this. I really hadn't seen any Edward movies, but I did watch this in Clan 9 from Outer Space, which is... um somewhat of a task with more along the lines of that juicy fun. So bad. It's at least uh, somewhat good, maybe good, little entertaining stuff. Pretty, pretty bad, (laughs) but somewhat entertaining. Yeah. So this was my first uh, foray into the canon of Ed Wood. I I assume you're not going to
0: go further into that canon.
1: Uh, I'm pretty good on Ed Wood, I think, (laughs) you know. I guess if there's a reason to, I would watch. You know what? One of his pornos that he made in the seventies. <laughs> you could, you could yeah. do that. Um,
0: yeah, I'd never seen this before either. I had seen Plan Nine from Outer Space, um, but only in like the riff tracks version, where you know they're they're you've got the the Mystery Science Theaters guys making fun of it. I actually, I think I went to I went to a theater showing of that one time several years ago. So um, that that mitigates the. Of watching the movie when you've got somebody making jokes at at its expense the entire time, and um, I did I didn't want to watch that again, especially without the jokes. But I did watch another Ed Wood Lugosi film, Bride of the Monster from 1955, which is more along the lines of Plan Nine. It's a sci fi horror exploitation kind of film, and Lugosi is like he is here doing his best there, but it's a it's a it's a chore and.
1: Less illuminating than this film. I like that he has his own company, though. Like you probably see many of the actors that I saw in uh, Plan Nine in uh, In Bride of the Monster.
0: Right, he does. I mean, and I think they were people like Bella Lugosi, where he just sort of like rounded up. You know, like now we get with Michael Madsen or Tom Sizemore or whoever. You know, Jason. I think all three of us know the uh, the Mahal brothers. The movie producers here in Las Vegas, and they they scoop up a lot of these same level people and work with them over and over again, yeah. and
1: bottom you know, and bottom of the barrel film composers. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, I know one Dave, of
0: those. Dave Rosen would have been making music for Ed Wood movies had he <laughs> lived in nineteen fifty three. Exactly.
2: <laughs> I'd love every second of it. <laughs> uh,
0: but yeah, there's uh, Tor, Tor Johnson who is in Bride of the Monster and in um, in Plan Nine as
1: well, I believe, right. He definitely is. He's a big fella.
0: Yes, he is a big fella. (laughs) And uh, uh, Lyle Lyle Talbot, who's in this film, was a longtime actor who plays, he plays the the detective in this film. And he'd been in tons of movies in like the the 40s, the 30s and 40s, and, you know, was kind of at a washed up point in his career and Ed Wood picked him up. So definitely that's, that was sort of a strategy of his, I guess, which is a continued strategy for B-movie filmmakers to this day.
1: Mm, There it is. Although maybe we should say that um, most B-movies this day don't have nearly as much narration or stock footage. I've seen plenty of (laughs) B-movies with a lot of
0: stock footage. Maybe not as much narration, but stock footage is life and well.
1: I mean, it would be fun to see, like, you know, Ed Wood uh, do Sharknado 17 or an asylum picture or something like that, right? Edward would 100% be working for like the asylum
0: or full moon or something like that if he were alive today.
1: Yeah, that would be good. So
2: David, you ever seen this? So uh my mom used to make me watch all kinds of Edward movies when I was a kid I don't and uh <laughs> and uh I'm I don't remember if I saw this one specifically obviously Plan 9 was was regular rotation uh but I probably saw this one and as I sent to you guys in our little group chat uh when she was pregnant with me in 1980 she took me uh to the world's worst film festival which was put on by the uh authors of the Golden Turkey Awards and played this Plan 9 a bunch of other insanely bad movies and uh, she talks about it all the time. How great it was. So, did
1: she like these movies, or is this like, are we going to discover something like in that uh, documentary, "Mommy Dead and Dearest"? Like, is this your mom's way of Stockholm Syndromeing you, or something <laughs> to like to get her un- uh, get your undying loyalty to her? Some I have no idea what's going on with this relationship, Dave.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I she loves this stuff. Yeah. She she loves So Bad It's Good. She loves like bad monster movies and sci-fi network, all that kind of stuff. She she loves it. So she still watches
0: Ed Wood movies?
2: I believe so, yeah.
0: Does I'm she
1: sure. have a favorite of one of the Ed Wood pornos? That
2: that I can't tell wow. you. I know Plan Nine is the number one of all the Edward yeah. movies. Yeah. So,
1: that's so. that's a typical favorite.
0: So yeah. uh anything else on the background of this film, Jason, that you want to mention?
1: Uh no. Definitely
0: that. No, Jason's done with this <laughs> film already. We'll we'll come back yeah. and try to get some more general thoughts on Glenn or Glenda. <laughs> Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1953, we are talking about the future cult classic pick Glenn or Glenda. And Jason, I, I you know I'm trying to give Ed Wood some credit here for personal expression. For opening himself up and you just don't seem to be buying I d-
1: it i don't i think that's yeah it's it was brave for him to say like i'm going to make a movie about cross-dressing right in this time period but like he didn't do a good job of it josh so like i don't know how much i could give him credit for when the movie's like 70 minutes and you're like oh how long is this thing you know it's just very bad and um the combination of the two stories don't fit together. All the stuff that George Weiss slapped in there doesn't fit anywhere. Like it's just uh it's just the garbage heap next to a trash dumpster next to a landfill, Josh.
0: All right. That is a lot of
1: uh refuse. Unnecessary <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. like redundancy <laughs> with the garbage collection going yeah. on there. I think I think you're um, right. Yeah. So you didn't ever feel for Ed Wood slash Daniel Davis slash Glenn here in his struggle to be accepted in the world
1: and by his fiance. She pretty much accepted him once he told her. There was no struggle, Josh. Come on.
0: It was an internal <laughs> struggle. He had a nightmare about Satan. Did you not watch that part?
1: Yes. Was that also Bella Lugosi as
0: Satan there, right? No, no. It was uh, William M.A. de Orgler as the devil, according to- uh, media Of course,
1: so, of course. Yeah. Oh, I I kind of I could go. If you're like, "Hey, would you watch more?" I could pull up like a Bella Lugosi monologue on YouTube from this movie and watch that again. And then then I'd give you that. I'd give you that right there. So
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that you should watch this movie over and over again or anything. I just I, I don't know. I felt like there was something. I agree with you. It's 70 minutes and it feels very long. It's very repetitive. It's very tedious. It has this again, this like lecturing tone from the doctor character who is, is telling the detective about what is transvestism. Um, it's not a good movie, but I think to me, when I watch movies like this, the ones that I'm drawn to are the ones where it feels like this unfiltered look into this Filmmaker's mental problems. I feel like the room is like that with Tommy Wiseau, where you're like, yeah. I've learned more than I ever wanted to know about Tommy Wiseau's issues by watching
1: this movie, and I think you get that from this one with Ed Wood. Yeah. So, Josh, why explain to me why I like the room so much and don't like this one then?
0: I mean, I don't entirely know because I don't like the room either. I mean, I, I think it's interesting to to sort of analyze, but you know, my feeling is like, if a movie is bad, then it's bad. I I don't have the like, oh, it's so bad, it's good. Like, it's fun to watch the movie that's bad. It's not fun to watch The Room to me. And I've seen it multiple times. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe there is more quotability. There's more campiness to The Room where this movie doesn't have as much of that. Although the whole yeah. nightmare sequence with the devil is pretty campy.
1: Yeah. I Maybe I did need that more campiness like you're talking about. And by the time the devil comes on, uh, we're too far down the uh, hole of boredom to enjoy it.
0: Right. And I think that's one of the fascinating things too about this movie is that it can take this subject that, like I said, for especially for 1953 is kind of incendiary. And make it seem extremely boring and dry.
1: <laughs> that's your that's what the credit you're giving it. Today.
0: Right. Credit to Ed Wood for taking something that would be horribly like that that audiences at the time might find shocking and offensive and making it something to like put them to sleep.
1: Yes, there you go. That see, Josh, <laughs> this is why Josh is a film reviewer, Dave, for insight yeah, like that. Absolutely. I agree. I like that, Josh. Thank you. One
2: thing that I was thinking in, in comparing it to the room, like for some reason, even though both movies obviously have like big crews of people that are all working together to put this thing together. Uh, the room feels more like a, a group of people all kind of failing together. Whereas this feels like you, if you weren't looking at the, the actual uh, credits, you would think it's just Ed Wood filming something himself, like in just trying desperately to put something together, just him alone, like that's kind of the the feeling I got from this movie.
0: I mean, parts of it may be like that. It wouldn't surprise me if the Bella Lugosi scenes were just like Ed Wood went to Bella Lugosi's house and set up a camera. That's what he. Did. That's like, what he did.
1: Say this. That's what yeah. he did for Plan Nine. I mean, that's all footage after Lugosi died that he put into Plan Nine, which is so sweet. You know that he did that and everything. Um, yeah, sweet is one word for it. <laughs> but no, that was, you know, most of that was body doubled for Lugosi after he died. Right. So um, I don't know, maybe if he had gotten Bella Lugosi to say, you're tearing me apart, Mark.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, maybe if Lugosi was integrated into this more somehow, Yeah, um, and I'm not sure how that would be because the parts are so uh, separate, right? We've got Lugosi doing yeah. his thing and you've got the inspector and the doctor talking to each other, telling the story of Glenn and his fiancee. But they almost never. I think at the very, very end, right. Once Glenn has told his fiance about his cross dressing, they go to the doctor to get like his advice, and finally they interact. But for the majority of the movie, it's all of these separate parts that don't ever connect to each other. Yeah. So nothing
1: connects. That's true. You
0: know, what if Bella Lugosi had been a cross dresser in this film or something like that? Mm. Might have been something, right?
1: Yeah, that could. That's a whole movie that I'd watch right there, Josh.
0: Right. Right. Uh, I mean, because we do have a couple scenes of other uh, male characters in drag, right? Including one with this guy who's got like a big beard. I think they're trying to emphasize the masculinity of these people, even though they want to wear women's clothing. Because Ed Wood was, uh, you know, wanted to be sure that no one thought he was gay, I think was was one of
1: the things. Ever wear women's clothing, Josh?
0: (laughs) I feel like this is not a subject. Unlike Ed Wood, I don't need to be, Uh you know, Revealing everything about. I mean, there's idea. pictures
1: of me in women's clothing, like from yeah. different performances and Halloweens, and like uh, I could go on stage, and I'm not going to say I'd Eddie Izzard it would, but I I could use a little feminine touch to my wardrobe, and I'd be cool with that. So sure,
0: and I yeah. think that's great. I mean, and I think that's one of the things that this movie is trying to convey that like it's not that big a deal, right? You could do that. It doesn't mean that you're a deviant. It doesn't mean that you have to be you know, shunned from society or whatever. And uh, it's still something that we're, it's a big political topic right now
1: with like drag queens and stuff. That's weird to me. It feels like it's not a topic at all in the world I live in, Josh. Well, that's, that's
0: good. And I I mean, I don't feel, obviously I agree with you that, that there's nothing bad or wrong about that. And it should be Something we don't really concern ourselves with, but there's a very big right-wing contingent that believes that like drag queens are destroying our society.
1: Well, clearly we need some left-wing drag queens in the Senate or in Congress to put them in their place with a little sass. There you go. Jason (laughs) says RuPaul for
0: Congress. Whose house? Ru's house. (laughs) All right. That is uh, that is something. So I don't. Is there anything positive
1: you want to say? I gave Bella Lugosi credit. Can you look, okay. stop hounding me, John? I, I
0: don't know. I'm just trying to. <laughs> it's I'm not
1: a to... good movie. There's nothing good in uh, this film other than. All right.
0: All right. The, uh, I mean, Man, don't don't uh, get angry at me. It's ter- the stock
1: that. footage is all right. <laughs> You want me to say that? It's <laughs> very good very choice of stock footage. Professional stock footage when I see like missiles being launched and stuff like that, I'm like, "Hey, that looks like a missile being launched." Is that right. is that right? So
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Was there anything like surprising or or interesting to you even if in a bad way?
1: You're really picking here, Josh, aren't you? I'm just trying to get some discussion. I, I mean, I on guess, this uh, on this dis- how about discussion this? Discussion podcast. Ed Wood, <laughs> had he not been a director, I think could have been a capable, uh, I'm not going to say star, but a capable actor of B-movies.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's obviously a very personal reason why he's the star of this, but I think he is certainly not worse. Than any of the other actors that he has gotten to be in this film.
1: Is there um, something that you really like that I'm missing, Josh?
0: No, I mean, and I'm like I said, I, it's not that I thought this was a great movie. I just felt like I appreciated what Ed Wood was putting out there at this time into this film. And especially, again, watching Bride of the Monster, which is in some ways, I think, like Plan 9, probably a more professional, polished production but is to me a less interesting film because it's just a dumb sci-fi monster movie with a plot that makes no sense and terrible acting and like crappy sets and all the stuff that you expect from something like that.
1: I think those were the things I enjoyed in Plan 9, you know, (laughs) like it's a a real, you know, I'm not even going to call it a B movie, a D movie, but you know, hey, I like that the flying saucers are like spray painted paper plates or whatever they are, you know, and they're on right. fishing line and everything that said, it, it's also not a good movie, Josh.
0: No, no, it's not. And uh, all right, I'll, uh, I'll stop torturing you. On this, Dave, but... you
1: want to jump in?
0: <laughs> yeah. Any, any thoughts? Did you, anything you L, you liked about this film, Dave?
2: I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as Josh here where it's like, I, I, I like that he's trying to, to make a positive, statement about something that's so deeply personal to him but then of course it's just terrible you know like one other thing i guess that i would bring up is you know we've kind of already talked about the almost lecturing tone of the movie like just kind of like speechifying it all like it kind of reminded me of reefer madness in that uh in that you know kind of level where it's like trying to like really teach you a lesson with a movie and uh that doesn't usually work very well
0: Right, I definitely thought of Reefer Madness too, and and I guess the one thing that I would say about that is that Reefer Madness, of course, is this like sensationalistic, you know, alarmist piece about the dangers of marijuana, and that in a weird way, Ed Wood is using the same tone as those reactionary films to make what is for the time an extremely progressive
2: statement. Sure, yeah, absolutely, and that, you know that's I I deserves a little bit of uh, credit, I think. <laughs> what is your mom like about this movie? i have no idea but <laughs> you know. yeah i don't know we'll have to get we'll have to get a little uh bonus conversation with her going at there you point. go
0: so jason i'm gonna let you off the hook here we'll 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 close this out what do you want to rate glenn or glenda
2: uh
1: cashmere sweaters
0: <laughs> they're angora sweaters
1: oh, oh let's do that that yeah let's do the angora sweaters
0: Yeah, out of five Angora sweaters, what do you give this?
1: I give it two, but now that we're talking one and a half, I'm going to drop it to one and a half. I think I gave it the extra half because I was like, oh, that's good. He took on a a good subject matter. But uh, actually, what's the lowest I gave something? One? Probably. I That's don't what know. I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. But I'll give I, think, it one. I think you went lower. I'll give it yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. Man, oh, your wow. rating is plummeting as you're talking. Yeah. I got to be fair. I mean, I gave The Robe one, but The Robe is a professional looking film, right? So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One.
0: Well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to return to your original rating and give this to Angora Sweaters because I do appreciate the personal subject. I'm glad that I saw it, even if it is a poorly made film. And I think it's it's worthy of continued interest and discussion despite the quality of it. Well, you're a golden turkey, Josh. I sure am.
2: So Dave, how would you rate this? I'd originally given it three on Letterboxd, but after watching Plan 9 from Outer Space today, that also gets a three, and this has to be lower than Plan 9. So I guess two and a half.
0: All right. Dave being very generous to this film.
2: Yeah. So
0: we'll come back in a moment and talk about the legacy of Glenn or Glenda.
1: Well, There's Josh. He's going to bring us back into the segment and tell us what we're going to talk about now. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. <laughs> in this episode
0: of our season on the films of 1953, we're talking about Glenn or Glenda, and and Jason. I feel like the theme. I realize this is not the legacy of this, but maybe the legacy of this being its appearance on Awesome Movie Year. The theme of this season has been Jason hates the films of 1953. Yeah. Yeah. Where would this rank in the in the, the like list well, of
1: films? Well, I mean, it's the worst made film. But if you were like, would you rather watch this or The Robe again? I'd probably take this because this is an hour shorter, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, so fair. but it is one of, like I said, the most inept films I've ever seen. And it, I just can't explain it because, you know, I was a huge fan of The Room. And I feel like your arguments are totally valid on like, hey, this compared to that. But I just see it in a completely different way. That yeah. said, Josh. I am a fan of both The Disaster Artist and Ed Wood, the Tim Burton movie about Ed Wood.
0: Yeah, and that is one of the legacies here, Ed Wood's reputation, which he did not, unlike Tommy Wiseau, who's gotten to sort of uh, capitalize on his reputation and the reputation of the room, Ed Wood died in very, very sad obscurity as a drug addict, alcoholic who... uh, was completely broke and almost homeless much of the time into the later years of his life. But in 1980, when the Golden Turkey Awards did name him the worst director of all time, that kind of weirdly sparked this resurgence in interest of his films um, as these so bad they're good kind of movies, movies like Plan Nine from Outer Space and Bride of the Monster and Jailbait. And then eventually in 1994, Tim Burton made that film Ed Wood, starring Johnny Depp as Ed Wood, and Martin Landau, who won an Oscar for his role as Bela Lugosi. And I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but Jason, you just watched it recently, right? And it has some stuff from Glenn or Glenda in
1: it. It does have, yeah, there's a lot of like the kind of finagling for him to make the movie and plan it out, um, and uh, he Johnny Depp is like a real like, come on, kids, let's put on a show type Ed Wood, but man, Martin Landau is so awesome in this movie like it is like a real tour de force performance it's really amazing it's sort of, and I like it anyway it's a good movie it's all in black and white pristine it's Tim Burton you know he knows how to make a movie so it's fun it's a fun movie uh, I wish that Ed Wood movies were as fun as the movie about Ed Wood you know <laughs>
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, I remember really liking it. I mean, I think I saw this probably when it came out, which was at the height of my Tim Burton fandom. And I didn't know anything about Ed Wood at the time. And it did not spur me again. I saw Plan 9, but not until many, many years later. But I thoroughly enjoyed that film. I think I would enjoy it again. And it was the kind of movie that Burton didn't really make again until like Big Eyes, you know, like 20 years later or something like that. This this artistic biopic about a real outsider artist kind of Mm -hmm. thing.
1: Yeah, so it is sad because like you feel like Ed Wood, like had he lived longer, would have been a regular on like Letterman in the early 80s or something like yeah. that, maybe in the Hollywood Squares, but uh he had already, like Bella lugosi you know, his hero succumbed to the clutches of drugs and alcohol. There's a crazy quote because like, you know, he died of a heart attack and he was telling like his wife, hey, I'm not feeling well. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You're drunk again. So they didn't go in and check on him. And then 20 minutes later, he was dead of a heart attack. And the woman who found him was like, he was clutching the sheets and he looked like he had just seen hell. And uh, I was like, man, that is sad. That is a sad way to go.
0: Yeah, it really yeah. is. The, the later years of his life sound extremely bleak. And um, he died in 1978. And I think you're right, Jason, that like, had he lived into the eighties and he wasn't that old, you know, he certainly would have been, had he cleaned himself up, he would have certainly had many more years of life. And I think I could absolutely envision him being this, this sort of pop culture figure going into the eighties and
1: nineties. Right. We talk about, you know, our guy from American movie or Harvey P Carr on the show and Mark, whatever his name is. Mark Borchart, yeah, yeah. From America. And you movie. see, like, he could have totally been a character like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mark Barchart definitely is
1: working in the Ed Wood tradition. There right, on, right. On Coven. So, um, so that was sad, Josh. Like I said, he he moved from making movies into writing pulp novels into making like pornos. So at least he had a varied career.
0: <laughs> he did. I, I think a lot of his novels were were also like erotic. Novels and stories. But yeah, I mean, he didn't make that many feature films, but he wrote more than 80 novels, which is pretty astounding. Churned those out basically, presumably, to avoid living on the streets, it sounded like. So maybe more sad than inspiring. Yeah.
1: And Josh, he um, returned to this subject matter in two of those novels uh, Killer and Dragon, Death of a Transvestite.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, this was something that was important to him throughout his. You know, his whole career. And even when it's not in one of the movies, like in Bride of the Monster, Tor Johnson's character, who is this sort of, I think, as he often would play for Ed Wood, this this like simple simpleton brute kind of character gets very fixated on a piece of (laughs) Angora there. And he doesn't wear it, but he kind of caresses it in a way that you, you know, if you know what's going on there, then you
1: can see it. Hey Josh, can you believe this movie was shown in China in 1953?
0: That is something. I don't know what they made of it there. I would love to have found some uh, Chinese reviews. I don't know if those <laughs> that would have been, yeah, Considering that there were barely any American ones, probably not. But um, yeah, as we said, Bela Lugosi, this was toward the end of his life. Ed Wood did kind of rescue him in a way and put him in films. He was in a couple, he was in Bride of the Monster. And as you said, the, some amount of footage of him is in Plan 9. He died before they finished that film and they very obviously replace him with a body double. <laughs> Um, but, but I mean, you know, it is as weird as these movies are, as bad as they are, it is kind of sweet the way that Ed Wood was such a Bela Lugosi fan that he sought him out and did more for him really than anyone else was doing at the time.
1: And I think that's the, one of the best, or probably the best part of the Ed Wood movie, the Tim Burton movie is the, the sweetness of their relationship. Yeah.
0: Josh, you so, um, a fan
1: of Bela Lugosi's Dead by Bauhaus?
0: Um, I. No, I mean I'm not not a fan of it. I'm just, just not, not my familiar with not my, my band, yeah, or whatever. But I like Bela Lugosi's acting. That's not a song, <laughs> but in fact a thing that he did in the, movies.
1: Bella Lugosi's acting. Maybe um if Peter Murphy ever writes a sequel to Bella Lugosi's death. Yeah, probably but,
0: would not be as big a hit. But he was but, a big
1: star. He played Dracula and yeah, you
0: know, everything. Yeah. I mean, he's still like you think of the image of Dracula and Bela Lugosi is still what you
1: think of. Like, you know. Ninety plus years later, I I agree. Yeah, Josh, you mentioned Lyle Talbot. He played the neighbor on Ozzy and Harriet. He was the found a founding member of the Screen Actors Guild, so he had a lot going on there.
0: Yeah, he had like I said a huge huge career uh, before this in like the 30s and 40s, and you know ended up in in an Ed Wood position. Um, <laughs> Dolores Fuller, who plays Glenn's fiance and was at the time the real life girlfriend of Ed Wood. She appeared in a couple other Ed Wood movies before they broke up. She's in Jailbait and briefly in Bride of the Monster. And uh, after breaking up with Ed Wood, she did pretty well for herself. She moved to New York City and became a successful songwriter who wrote many songs for Elvis Presley, as well as Peggy Lee and Nat King Cole. And she lived till 2011. So quite a whole separate long career for her. Yeah, I
1: like that. That's good stuff. And Timothy Farrell, who was the narrator, was in, I, I kind of want to see this movie, Dance Hall Racket, which is the only movie Lenny Bruce was ever in. And he was also in uh, Paris After Midnight, the movie about and starring the famous stripper Tempest Storm. So, what a varied
0: career. Oh, yeah. And Tempest Storm, who was a longtime Vegas resident and uh, was always at like the Burlesque Hall of Fame and stuff out here. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. And Farrell was also a. Uh, a bailiff in the LA County Marshals office for like 25 years in addition to being an actor or really primarily that and then acting on the side
1: I think is the thing. Josh three fun facts the characters Glenn and Glenda and the fr- in in the Chucky the Chucky yes. movies and shows. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's one character with with sort of dual identities. It's Chucky's kid.
1: Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah,
0: that is definitely a fun homage. I think Don Don Mancini, the creator of the Child's Play movies, is I bet a big Ed Wood fan.
1: So is David Lynch. He loved this yeah. movie. See, you know, I did You versus David Lynch. Well, I like David I Lynch, I, but yeah. yeah. Right, <laughs> and that's all I got, Josh.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I would say, as 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 inept as this film is, the fact that it became a big part of culture, starting in probably starting more in 1980, is is a not insignificant landmark in the depiction and acceptance of transgender people in film.
1: Josh, I just had one more fun fact for you. Uh, 1981, when all this Ed Wood hysteria was going on, it's uh, said that Warren Beatty was the one who. Got the reissues going for him over at Paramount mm-hmm. while he was making Reds.
0: Yeah, good for him. I feel like if if Tim Burton had made Ed Wood, like you know, 10, In the, yeah, Warren Beatty would have been earlier. Perfect. Warren Beatty, yeah, he would have been perfect for yeah, it. Yeah, so I agree. All right, well, that is Glenn or Glenda, and that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can uh, lecture us
1: online or on social media. I don't know why you would. Like, is this the one you want to die on the hill for? Or the hill you want to die on? I just meant about the lecturing in the film. Oh, yeah. It could be that. Yeah. I I reverse that saying, too. Is this the hill you want to die on? Is what i meant. Josh, we are on social media. Jason Harris Comedy. Jay Harris Comedy. Uh, Hey, I have a new website up, Josh. It's called eatthiscomedy.com. How about that? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with uh, movies or awesomemovie or .com. But uh, it's up. So, ha, ha. Suck it go Uh and uh, you know, we're at awesomemovieyear.com, awesomemovieyear year on Facebook and Instagram, awesome movie pod on uh Twitter. I am at
0: joshbellhateseverything.com, at Josh Bell Hates on Facebook, at SignalBleed on Twitter, and at SignalBleed on Letterboxd. And you can listen to our producer David Rosen's awesome podcast, piecing it together.
2: Check us out wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at Piecing pod. Jason, what is in our next episode?
1: Josh, we left it up to the audience and, uh, it was 1953. Uh, and, and it'd be fitting after an Ed Wood episode, Josh, we went to monster movies, right? Is that correct? What, is that how you describe it, Josh?
0: Yeah. Monster and alien attack movies. Uh, yeah. The broad, like the, 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 the B-movie the staples. style sci-fi.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the winner was an alien movie, Josh. Should I say it right now? You should. It's The War of the Worlds. So tune in next time for The War of the Worlds.
2: And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.